Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. We're currently teaching through the Gospel of John. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. We're going to be in uh, 1 Timothy 4, uh, 6 through 10. How are you guys doing? Are you cold? Isn't it awesome? I love it. It's so good. For, for somebody preaching, it's really good for it to be cold. It's terrible for it to be hot. Um, because, you know, you don't want to see somebody sweaty up here. But the other thing is, you don't want to see people, like, dozing off. But if you're cold, you're, like, super awake. You're, like, you know? It's great. It's a really heightened. It's going to be awesome. Um, well, Happy New Year. Um, New Year's is one of my favorite holidays, actually. Um, and uh, it's not because I stay up late, because I don't stay up late, because kind of what Dave was talking about. We have kids, so if we stay up late, they don't sleep in later. It doesn't work that way. Have you guys ever thought that? Oh, we'll keep them up, and then they'll sleep in. They don't sleep in. They get up at 5.30 either way, so we don't stay up. But the reason why I'm excited about New Year's is because it's a great illustration of the gospel. It's a great illustration of the gospel because, I mean, think about it. It's a fresh start, right? Fresh start to a year. Paul says, um, and I think this is a great New Year's passage, but Paul says, brothers, I do not consider I've made it my own. But one thing I do, this is so cool, Paul goes, one thing I do, one thing I do is forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, isn't that a cool passage for this time of year? The gospel gives us a fresh start. The gospel says that in Christ, our sins have been removed and that we have a fresh start. And that isn't just January 1st, that's every day, right? His mercies and grace are new every morning. Um, it also is a great illustration, too, of the gospel because the gospel is about new life, right? New possibilities, being able to live differently, being able to be um, saved from the slavery that we were in to sin before and, and brought into a new level of freedom in Christ. In 1 Corinthians five seventeen, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. I just think New Year's Day is for us, guys. Uh, the new year is something to remind us of the gospel to, uh, you know, maybe not make resolutions, but make commitments before the Lord that, that he will empower us to do that are based on commands of scripture and to, to press forward. Because the gospel, guys, is good news in, in two ways. It not only takes away the, uh, the penalty of our sin, but it gradually, by the power of spirit, removes the power of our sin, right? It doesn't just take away the penalty of sin, it takes away the power of sin, by the gospel, we didn't just get freedom, forgiveness of sin, but we get freedom from slavery to sin. So it's about forgiveness and freedom, about the penalty and the power of sin being removed. And this passage, I think, is a great passage for us to look at here in the beginning of the year to just think through how can we have the Spirit move more within us this year, freeing us more and more from the things that bound us before. So take a look at 1 Timothy 4, starting in verse 6. Paul says to Timothy, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training has some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds the promise for the present life and the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. For this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Let's pray. Father, we come before you 
needy, Lord. Um, the first thing we ought to think about ourselves is that we are creatures made by you, and we come to you with all needs. We have nothing to offer, nothing of our own goodness, nothing of our own power and strength. And so when we come before you here Sunday mornings to hear your word, to be spoken to by you, by your spirit, we just pray, Lord, that you give us a profound sense of neediness, and Lord, you would meet that need. There's so many needs in this room, and we, we come before you as our Father, as your kids, asking you to change us, transform us, make us new. We pray for those who are here that may not know you, Lord. Um, we pray that this morning would be a time that you would use to draw people to yourself. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, the command I want to look at is in verse 7. Take a look at verse 7, and it's the second command here. It says, train yourself for godliness. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Train yourself for godliness. Um, we need to train for godliness. Um, there are things that you can do by training that you could never do by trying alone. You guys realize that? There's things you can do by training yourself that you can never do by trying alone. Example would be a marathon. How many of you guys have run a marathon? I'm not going to raise my hand because it's like not me. One. Any others? Any other marathon runners? Anyone else run a marathon? How many of you could run a marathon right now? Okay, not even that hand, okay? <laughs> One confident young man up here. Um, but you know what, guys? You guys, almost every one of you could run a marathon if you trained for it. So you couldn't run a marathon by trying, but you could run a marathon by training. And there's plans where you can do, uh, you know, couch to marathon in six months or 12 months or whatever it is. Um, the Christian life is a marathon. Paul said, I have finished the race. And if we're going to finish well like Paul finished well, there's specific training practices we need to engage in to increase our ability to do the things Jesus has commanded. So it's not all up to trying. It's highly about training. Because trying is about willpower. Training is about heart change. And so um, what we're going to look at this morning is how can we train in such a way that we can live more out of the power of the Holy Spirit? And these have historically been called the spiritual disciplines. You guys familiar with that term? The spiritual disciplines. And when I bring up the word spiritual disciplines, people go like, whoa. You know, there's two different objections I get with that. The first one is the... Uh, natural organic objection, which goes like this. I just like to let my relationship with the Lord happen organically and naturally. I don't need any disciplines or anything like that, right? Um, and I get where that's coming from. It is funny, though, in an age of CrossFit and stuff like that, that we are so weird about any kind of training in the spiritual realm. Um, you guys know how to tell if somebody's doing CrossFit, right? Don't worry, they'll tell you. Okay? It's easy to find out. Um, and we have this idea somehow that, that you know, to train or to, to be involved in any way in pursuing the Lord through disciplines is something that we should avoid, you know. But you guys got to realize, things won't happen naturally. They're being opposed supernaturally. You guys realize that all the things you want to do in following the Lord more tightly this year are all going to be opposed supernaturally by the flesh, the world, and the devil, you have opposition, so you're not going to be able to do things naturally that are being opposed supernaturally. And we also have this idea that somehow our relationship with the Lord isn't authentic if it isn't spontaneous. So to have like set times of prayer and set times of reading and things like that seems kind of odd because it's a relationship, right? But guys, relationships don't work spontaneously. How many of you guys have said over and over to someone, yeah, yeah, let's get together? 
right? You're still saying it, right? Why? Because you have to set a specific time, right? You have to go, okay, we're going to do it this time and this thing. A lot of times with our spiritual disciplines, with prayer and reading the word and stuff like that, we're kind of the Lord like, yeah, yeah, let's get together sometime, you know? And we're still not. Um, We use disciplines in our regular relationships. I mean, if we think about things like date night, it's not a spiritual discipline, but it is an important marriage discipline. Uh, my wife and I will set aside a time. I saw some elbows bumping, guys, just now. Yeah, yeah, what about that date night, you know? Um, we'll set aside a time, you know, we'll get somebody to watch the kids and things like that. It's not spontaneous, right? I got kids, nothing's spontaneous, right? We've got to plan everything out. And yet it is a part of making that relationship deeper, right? Even though it was planned, it wasn't spontaneous, like, let's run away, you know, and go do something. <laughs> like, there's none of that anymore. And as far as the charge of it being legalism, sometimes people feel like, oh, you know, those spiritual disciplines sounds legalistic. Now, historically, there have been people that have done some of the spiritual disciplines in a legalistic way, trying to kind of earn favor from God. We can think of stories from the past saints that have, you know, slept on hard beds or exposed themselves to bad weather or been on excessive fasts, all as a way to earn favor with God. That's not what we're talking about. The Bible doesn't, doesn't say that we're to do that. But let's not assume, guys, that any effort in the Christian life is legalism, right? I think that's the sense we have in our Christian culture is that anytime we would really strive or toil or try hard for something, we must be trying to earn God's favor. Well, this passage uh, says just the opposite, and we'll get to that. But Dallas Willard says, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. I think that's a super important distinction. Grace is not opposed to effort. In fact, grace empowers effort. Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. And so grace empowers our effort. So what is the motive here? Take a look at verse 7 and 8. What is the motive for training ourselves for godliness? What motive does he give here? It's not earning favor with God. It's not um, to try and you know, make ourselves right before him. You see it? It says in verse um, 7, train yourself for godliness, and then look at the word for. For, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Um, we train for godliness. We want to engage in spiritual disciplines because godliness has value, okay? So you're pursuing a thing, and that thing is godliness, and it has value. Well, what is godliness? I think that's an important thing to, to figure out. What is godliness? Well, let me start with what is ungodliness, and we can go to godliness. Ungodliness is when a person lives in a way every day with little or no thought of God, or of God's will, or of God's glory, or of being dependent on God. So it's living your life in a way where you have little or no thought of God, you have little or no thought of his will, his glory, or depending on him. That's what ungodliness is. And guys, there's a lot of very nice ungodly people in our culture. You guys realize that? Does that sound weird to you? Because ungodliness isn't about that you're doing all kinds of evil things to other people. Ungodliness is a rejection of God personally. Okay, so there, there are tons of very nice and very wonderful ungodly people, good husbands and wives and employers and employees and fathers and mothers and neighbors and friends. We all have friends that we're deeply thankful for, but they're not Christians and their life is ungodly. It's ungodly not because it's evil to me. I love them and they're great and they've been so helpful and I can really see that, you know, God's grace in their lives in some ways. His common grace is he's um, causing them to be great neighbors and friends and relatives and things. But their life is still ungodly. Their life is ungodly because they give no thought to God. I think that's a really important distinction to make. Um, 
if I could give you an example of this, an analogy of how this works. Um, imagine that there's a father and he raises his son and he does everything for his son to raise him in, in the right ways, you know, teaches him good things, loves him, is caring for him, very connected father. And imagine that kid grows up one day and he just decides, I'm just done with my dad. For no reason that the father's done anything, he says, I'm just done with him, even though his, God, his, his father's been so good to him. But he lives his life in a very moral way. He'd be a great neighbor or friend for you. He is a wonder, one of the most wonderful people he'd ever meet. But he has this thing where he has rejected his father. We'd say that that life is sinful, right? Even though it's a moral life, it's a life with a huge sin in it because it's a significant sin against his father that he would reject him like that. In the same way, you can have very moral people whose lives are evil because it's a rejection of God. Even all the good that they do, they're still rejecting the one who's given them everything. If we look in Acts 17, it says that God has given us life and breath and all things. Everybody take a deep breath. I need one. That breath is given you by God. Every single breath. Your heart right now is beating inside your chest. I don't know what the, maybe 80 beats per minute or something like that. It's beating along. And it's been beating ever since you were an embryo. And it will beat for 70, 80 years if you live that long. And it never rests. And the reason why it keeps going is that God keeps it going. And so to live a life that rejects that is a great evil. To live in a way where um, one has little thought to God, his will, his glory, or dependency on him. And guys, if that's the definition of ungodliness, then we have to admit that we have a strong tendency to ungodliness, don't we? We all do. We all have a tendency to live whole days and weeks in ways where we give very little thought to God, very little thought to that we're being dependent on God or that he is keeping us alive or that he's given us every good thing that we have. And so, guys, we need to train for godliness. It doesn't happen naturally, even for believers. And so what is godliness? I want to give you this definition of godliness. Godliness is responding to God's goodness with a life of continual thankfulness and dependency on his power. Okay? So godliness is... A life of continual thankfulness and dependency upon God's power. So it's thinking of it's relating to him, it's living out of his, his life. It's realizing that we can do nothing apart from him. And guys, godliness is the only reasonable response for us. You guys realize we're creatures as I pray? Do you ever sit around and go like, I'm a creature. I am a created creature thing that God made, and I'm completely dependent on him for everything. You guys realize that? You're creatures. And so godliness is the only normal response, and it has great benefits. Look at verse 8. It says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, for it holds promise in the present life and also in the life to come. So two benefits of godliness. There's benefits for the future, for the life to come, and for now. Um, for a moment, I want to talk about the life, now, uh, the life to come, and then we'll talk about the life now. Um, it has huge benefits, it says, for the life to come. A mentor of mine, Will Wyatt, he's... I always say he's like super old. He's like, I don't know how old he is now. He may have stopped aging at this point. He's like maybe late 80s or something, I think. He won't tell me. So, um, but uh, he says this. He says, the only thing we take with us when we die is the depth of our relationship with God. You realize that's the only thing you take with you? And so to train for godliness makes total sense because the depth of relationship you have with God is the only thing you take with you when you die. Job said, naked you came and naked you'll leave. That's the one thing you take with you. When we enter the world to come, we're going to enter that world to come with differing levels of depth of relationship with God based on what we cultivated here. Isn't that interesting? 
I mean, we'll have plenty of time to get to know him, obviously. But doesn't it seem important to us to get to know him as well as we possibly can? So that when we see him, we have this depth of relationship that we've grown in this life. So as value here, as value then, it also has value here. It says, as value in this life. Um, and then he compares it to physical training, right? He says, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. Let's think a little bit about how physical training works, because a great example is spiritual training. So physical training, this is, an, this is a definition for physical training, is regular practice of an activity which leads to physical adaptations of your body, which improves strength or endurance. See that? So physical training is regular practice of an activity which leads to physical adaptations of the body with improved strength and endurance. So it has a purpose, right? And so let's just think about like aerobic training. How many of you guys like decided you are going to exercise and you are in day three? Okay. What's happening with aerobic exercise? Think about it. Aerobic exercise, the whole point of it is to increase the amount of oxygen that can get into your muscles to burn, for, burn with the fuel. Right, so oxygen and your um, and, and the calories you take in get burned in your muscles, and so the amount of oxygen that gets in will determine how much energy you can burn. And so the adaptations happen like this: if you guys started running or whatever you did, I don't know why you'd run. That's crazy. But uh, what happens? Well, it's so cool because our body can adapt. So you'll have increased capillaries in your lungs. So the little blood vessels that take in the oxygen and let out the CO2 will increase in your lungs as you exercise more. You actually get more capillaries. Isn't that wild? Like you actually have more blood vessels in there. Then your heart will actually increase its stroke volume, meaning that it will actually beat more blood per time it squeezes down. Like your heart does that over time, over a few months of training, it gets more and more blood going through. In your muscles, you'll increase the blood vessels in there, the capillaries in there, and you'll even have increased mitochondria, which are the the little uh, powerhouses inside each cell that actually do the metabolism. And that happens by training. And so if you do that kind of training, you find that you can do things by training you could never do by trying alone, right? Like a marathon. Well, just like aerobic training, causes physical adaptations to take in more oxygen. Spiritual training causes spiritual adaptations in your heart, in your soul, so that you can take in more of the presence and power of God. So you would run more on his presence, more on his power than on yours alone. Adaptations happen that last inside your soul, inside your heart, so that you can do things you weren't able to do before and do them by the power of the Spirit. That's cool. You know what I mean? Like, that's worth striving for, isn't it? And that's what discipleship's about. Discipleship is about learning to do everything that Christ has commanded by the power of the Spirit. And training is essential in that. And so how do we train? We're going to look at, because it just says train. What do we mean by train? How do we train? You know how we train? We train by doing the same training exercises that Jesus himself did. And it makes sense, right? Like, okay, so you're a disciple of Jesus, right? Meaning you're his student. So it makes sense if you learn from him that he would teach you particular ways to train yourself for godliness. And he did. And I'm going to tell you something that might kind of blow your mind or whatever, but Jesus, though he's God, lived as a spirit-empowered man while he was here. I know that might be like, whoa, okay, I need some time for that. So Jesus, being God and man, being fully God, as he lived here, lived as a spirit-empowered man. And this is important for us to remember because a lot of times we think of God and we think, oh, we think of Jesus and we think, oh, it's easy for him while he's here. He's God. So he's just walking around and temptation comes and he goes, ah, you know, like don't want it, you know? And everything was like super easy, right? But that's not the picture we get in the book of Hebrews. Take a look at Hebrews 5.7. It says, 
In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. And then listen to this about Jesus. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And so Jesus, though he was and is fully God and never sinned, he did learn. He learned obedience. Is that weird? Go back and look at it and think about it. I mean, it might take you some time. But Jesus learned obedience. As a real man, he learned how to obey his father completely in the power of the spirit. And that's what makes him a very fit example for us. And so it worked like this. Jesus never sinned, but at each stage of development, Jesus was presented with new challenges and temptations, and he learned how to obey his father and pass the test. So he learned without failure, but he had to learn each thing. And he did this through spiritual disciplines. Um, For example, Luke, when he talks about Jesus coming away from a 40-day fast in the wilderness, he said that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. So he's living out his life as a spirit-empowered man, even though he is fully God and man. And we, as Jesus' disciples or students, are called to imitate his overall pattern of life. Okay, A lot of times we think we want to do what Jesus did without training how Jesus trained. I mean, that would be a different acronym, right? How would Jesus train or something? Okay. And so to be Jesus' student would be not just to agree on a body of knowledge, but to have an overall pattern of life that matched his. So let's do this, a little interaction. What spiritual disciplines do we see Jesus doing in the Gospels? Go. Prayer. Okay, good. Prayer. What else? Fasting. Excellent. Teaching. Okay, so there was service. I have that under service, so teaching and, and healing people as him pouring himself out to people. What else? Yeah, so there's all kinds of scriptural ones, like like reading scripture, um, meditating on scripture, memorizing scripture. What else? Living it out. Living it out, yeah. So always endeavoring to actually apply scripture. What's that? Submitting, okay, yeah. Submission to authority. We see him doing that with his parents when he's 12, right? He like kind of tells them, you know, you know who I am, right? And then he's like, all right, I'll go back home with you. (laughs) You know, it's the weirdest thing. It's like, all right, now that I made my point. Um, we see things with the word like uh, study, meditation, memorizing. We see prayer both together and with others and privately. We see fasting. What about solitude and silence? A lot, right? What, and service, uh, healing and teaching. How about simplicity and frugality? The only thing we know he owned was like a really nice tunic, right? Um, fellowship. What about corporate worship? Or worshiping together, not a worship of a corporation, but <laughs> gathered worship. I don't like to say it the other way because it's confusing. Jesus would have taught his disciples to do all of these things and not just have taught them uh, theological knowledge, though that's very important. And so if we lived back then and we became his disciples, he'd be like, come with me, let me show you how to fast. Come with me, let me show you how to pray. Come with me, let me show you how to meditate on scripture, right? How do we do it now? We do it through the record of his word and we do it through the example of each other. And so when you guys are either discipling others or being discipled, make sure that this is a part of what you discuss. It's not just learning about the deity of Christ and things like that. Super vital. Not downplaying that at all. You know me, I think. Um, But also to say, hey, how exactly do I do a time of solitude? How how exactly do I serve out of a heart that's, that's right? So Jesus would have shown how to do these things. Otherwise, guys, we're going to try to do in the moment of temptation what Jesus trained all the time to be able to do. 
It's like us showing up and going like, okay, Jesus, let's run that marathon. I know that's what you do. And he's like, dude, you haven't trained, right? So what we do, and we do this a lot, and this is part of the problem why we have such difficulty with our resolutions, that we're trying to do in the time of temptation something Jesus trained every day to do. So instead of just thinking of what would Jesus do, we need to think of how did Jesus train? H-D-J-T bracelets, okay? Both, all right? Because, guys, in this room, we have so many needs, don't we? We just think about the new year, and we're excited and stuff. We also know there's a lot of heaviness here. There's um, work difficulties. There's parenting struggles. There's health issues. There are marriage tensions. There's parenting struggles. There's discontentment. Some of you guys have parenting struggles. There's addictions, right? There's, I mean, we think about the fears that we carry into the new year. Um, We think about things like pornography and lust and all the difficulties we have, right, that we need to face. And they need to be faced with training, not just trying. We can't just rely on our strength in the moment. Because training is about transforming your heart while trying is just about willpower. So we need to train. Um, Let's look real quickly through those disciplines. And we're just going to look at what Jesus do. How do you train? Because, you know, and this makes sense, right? Because you guys have all at least once had a gym membership, right? And maybe you still do, and you haven't been there for years. But um, when you're in the gym, you might look around at people, and you might think, like, whoa, I wonder what that dude does. That's what dudes do. They go, like, whoa, what are you doing? You know, what supplement are you taking? You know, what kind of exercise are you doing? Well, getting those kinds of results. I remember a few years ago, I, we were playing racquetball with a friend of mine, and we were hanging out, and then we went to go just kind of sit for a little while, and we're watching these guys that are really good at racquetball. And... These guys, we thought we were going for exercise and, uh, you know, lean up and stuff. But we're looking at these guys that are amazing at racquetball, and they did not have the bodies we wanted. But they were like Jedi knights at, you know, this. Like, they hardly had to move, right? Because the better you are at racquetball, the less you move. So that's when I went, like, who in the gym do what I want to look more like? And then I thought, I need to swim, right? Because you look at the people that are good at swimming, and you're like, all right, that's what I'm going for. Okay, in the same way, we need to look at, like, who in human history has been better at loving God and loving people and being able to live out all the things that God's commanded? It's Jesus. So how do you train? He trains one, one through prayer. We look through the Gospels, and we see Jesus as a man that's constantly in prayer. Uh, Clement of Alexander, who lived about 200 A.D., he said, prayer is keeping company with God. It wasn't that Jesus was, like, really into prayer. Jesus was really into his Father, and like to spend time with him, right? And so G- and Jesus knew he needed it. Does that sound strange? That he needed prayer time. He needed time with his father. Um, when we see in Luke 6, before he ch- uh, chose the 12th, he stayed up all night in prayer. And you think about like, I never stayed up all night in prayer. I might need prayer more, right? I mean, this is Jesus, right? He also sought out prayer with other people. You think about in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he draws two of his closest friends, says, come pray with me. They didn't do a very good job, but he wanted them. In the discipline of prayer, we enjoy God's presence and acknowledge that apart from him, we can do nothing. Secondly, the word. Jesus was constantly a man in the word, learning the word, studying the word, meditating the word. We see especially that he liked Deuteronomy. He liked Isaiah. He liked the Psalms. He liked Genesis. Those were the places he was constantly quoting from. Those must have been the places he spent the most time. What was he doing? He was training his soul. He was aligning his thoughts and emotions with his father's thoughts and emotions through the scriptures. Psalm 119 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That was Jesus' statement, right? That was something he did. Um, I posted for you guys um, this week, and if you get on the email list, I can send it to you, but a reading plan to read through the Bible in here. 
And the idea is not that you're going to read through every bit of the Bible, but that you would have every day a passage of Scripture to read. And I think there are advantages the one I sent out. There would be a daily email to send it to you with a little link for, to listen to it, which is Max McLean's reading, which is like super, like, you know, it sounds awesome just the way the Bible should. And, uh, and there's another email from uh, D.A. Carson that would come every week, that, every day, actually, that would give some commentary on it. And I think it could be really good. And you might say to yourself, like, oh, Eric is the third. I don't want to have to catch up on that. Let's be real. You read that part already last year, okay? Just start on today's reading, okay? Just start on today's reading. You've read Genesis 1 through 3 many times, okay? But join us. And I would say, let's not worry about doing catch up and all this uh, catching up on things we missed and stuff. Let's just try and get as much scripture into us as we can. So you went t- 10 days and read, start fresh. It'll still be more scripture than we did last year. It'll be a net win. Through the discipline of the word, we have our thoughts and feelings aligned with the Lord's thoughts and feelings. Thirdly, solitude and silence. One you guys did not mention, which is interesting. In Matthew and Luke especially, we see Jesus always trying to get away to, quote, desolate places. It's interesting. He was always scoping out a way to escape from them, wasn't he? He was always like, they're cruising along, and he's just like, there's a desolate place, you know, for later, you know? So when they're not looking, I'm going to get away, and I'm going to spend time alone with my father. And that's something we need to do. And I know we think, oh, we're too busy or whatever. We're not more busy than Jesus, (laughs) for sure. He was always hiding, and he was always trying to find a place to be alone with the Lord. And for us, we have unique things that we need to have silence and solitude from, like this. Um, It can't be with our phones, okay? And I know what you guys are thinking, like, I can leave my phone in my house and go for a walk because what if there was an emergency? And you're going to do what? You know what I mean? Like, it used to be the only people that were on call like that were heart surgeons. (laughs) And now we're all on call, and not more of us have become heart surgeons. Okay? Leave the phone because it's not solitude and silence unless we are actually alone with the Lord. And so through the discipline of solitude and silence... What do we do? We get freed from the need for attention and praise and for people to see our good works. Jesus said, go in, in private, right? Uh, fourthly, fellowship. Jesus was a man who rolled deep, right? Jesus always had people around him. He had at least the 12. He had many others. He enjoyed the company of, and the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and seemed to be genuinely refreshed and encouraged by being with them. Isn't that wild? I mean, this is God in the flesh. He was genuinely encouraged and refreshed by being with friends. And what do we get in the discipline of fellowship? We, in the discipline of fellowship, we receive refreshment and encouragement to keep running the race. Fifthly, fasting. Okay, here's another one. Somebody mentioned it, which is great. Fasting. Jesus can fast for 40 days, which tells me he trained for it. You don't do that tomorrow. You don't go like, hey, for the next 40, forget the food, right? (laughs) This is something he trained for. What does fasting do? Fasting does two things. One thing that fasting does is it returns the proper chain of command within you. Because what happens, I think you guys will all agree, is the Holy Spirit within our redeemed self, our redeemed spirit, is supposed to tell our body what to do, right? So it's the Holy Spirit dwelling in our redeemed heart that should be telling our body what to do. But what happens in sin? Very much in many sins that we do, it's the body telling our soul what it's going to do, right? And what fasting does is it returns the proper chain of command. It's, it's a reset. It's to say, no, you know, we're going to live out of the spirit and not out of whatever my body wants to do. This is crazy for our culture because our culture says do whatever your body wants. 
It also is a constant reminder to us to call out to God to satisfy. I'm terrible at fasting. I would like to grow in it. I have often fasted for people when, um, you know, they're going to get surgery or something like that. I'm like, hey, I'm going to fast that day for you and pray for you. Please call me when you're out of surgery (laughs) so I can eat, you know, like, and people have left me for a long time. I keep texting, how was it? How was it? They're like, oh, he's so concerned. But the benefit of the fasting, the benefit of fasting is that it was a reminder to pray. You know, you have this deep pain, you want to eat, and you go, Lord, you're the one I really need. You're the one I really, I really need your help. I really need you to come. I really need you to deliver this person from their sickness. Service. Jesus was constantly healing and teaching people, focused on the needs of others. In the discipline of service, we find that we're filled up most when we're poured out more for others. Seventh. Simplicity and frugality. This is one you didn't mention. Interesting, isn't it? We all have these cultural blind spots, don't we? And there might be something really good for us here because in a culture where we're constantly trying to buy bigger and bigger homes and fill it with more and more stuff, we actually follow... I know, sorry, David. Um, <laughs> you went like this. Um, he's, he's, he has people in his house. He fills it with people. Bigger and bigger homes with more and more stuff. And we follow a teacher who, as far as I can tell, had just like one really nice tunic, you know? And, um, and a year or so ago, I realized that I often would buy things, a lot of times small things, just to feel better. You guys ever do that? It's more of a lady thing, I think. It's one of my many <laughs> more female temptations. Um, from what I understand, ladies go to Target, and like, hey, I'm going to buy this to get that. You feel a little better, right? You feel a little better if you get a little something. And, and that's what I found I was doing. And um, whether it's, you know, buying a book, having something arrive from Amazon, you know, even office supplies. I mean, I know it's silly, but little things <laughs> made me feel better. And what was I doing? I'm basically, I'm medicating, right? I'm like, I feel kind of bad, but I could buy this and I feel better, you know? And so um, the Lord had led me to do a personal fast, like, from buying. So I, I did a fast of, I wasn't going to buy anything for myself for a month. And it's amazing what you learn when you do that, you know? It's amazing what you learn when you do that, and it's helped. And some people have done longer, but some people have done whole years and things like that. Super helpful in redirecting us to find our joy in God and not in stuff. And there's been a lot of talk in our culture about, you know, minimalism and uh, giving stuff away and not accumulating and living simply. And a lot of these things are biblical values. We just need to make sure we do it from, for a biblical reason, Right? And so in the discipline of simplicity for Galilee, we learn to draw our security and joy in God, from God instead of acquire things. Lastly, gathered worship. I think this one's so crazy. It says in Luke 4.16, it says that Jesus went to the synagogue as was his custom. So Jesus, God in the flesh, showed up to, quote unquote, church, right? What it would have been in that time. The gathered worship of God's people. Isn't that wild? He doesn't need it, right? You would think. But as a spirit-empowered man, this is one of his ways that he trained himself for godliness. It was something that he did feel like he needed. And it's just wild for me to think, like if Jesus lived during this time and lived in this neighborhood, he might come here and sit with us. He might actually come here and hear me or Josh or David teach. That's a little bit of pressure, right? He's always watching, right? He might be led in worship by Ish or Chad or Don, Nicole, Brett, you know, up front here. He would receive the greetings from you all. He'd receive the hugs from you guys. He would have a donut. He would enjoy the fellowship of believers. Isn't that wild? And Jesus saw that as something he needed to train for godliness. We need that more, right? So Jesus engaged in all these spiritual disciplines as a way to train himself for godliness. So maybe the question for us this morning is, is that um, 
what are, how are we going to train this year? Which of these eight things do we need to get back to in 2016? Because it's not just about getting back to doing the right things. That's important. But we also need to realize that we need to train for it. Training in the same way Jesus taught us to train. So that we can do things uh, by training we could never do by trying. Living out of the presence and the power of God. And so, um, and, and I want to give you one last thing, though, as we close, which is there's one more motivation here. Take a look at the text. It's really cool. He says, train yourself for godliness. And then verse 8, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. So we know that we train because godliness is valuable and we want it. And then it says this uh, saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. And then look at verse 10. For to this we toil and strive, right? We toil and strive. We train ourselves to be able to follow Christ more closely. And then look at the, here's a second motivation. Why? Why do we toil and strive? Listen to this. Because we have set our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Isn't that cool? Do you see the motivation there? The motivation is not earning or anything like that. It's actually the complete opposite, right? The motivation there is, to, is because we have hope in God. Our intense training is fueled by the hope we have, the hope we already have. We're not training so we can earn something or feel better, like we're more connected to God. We have a hope in God, and that rocks our hearts such that we want to train. It's gospel-motivated. And Guys, God has given us real hope for the first time in our lives. How many of you guys could say that? God gave you hope for the first time in your life. God's given me hope for the first time in my life. He gave me hope because God came down as a man, right? He came down as a man, Jesus, who learned to live out of the power of the Spirit. And this Jesus also taught his disciples how to do it as well. But unlike them and unlike us, he did it perfectly, right? At every stage of development, with every test he had, he passed the test. And the wild thing is, this perfect life that he earned, he invites us to take credit for it. How would you like to do that? How would you like to take credit for Jesus' flawless life? That's what the gospel's about. It's about trusting in him, turning from your sin, and then you get credit for his flawless life. How amazing is that? That's the good news. And Jesus trained his whole life for his most important work. Do you know what he's mostly training for? His marathon, right? The cross. In Hebrews 9, it says that Jesus offered himself on the cross through the eternal spirit. How did he do it? He did it by the power of the spirit. He trained for it. And so on the morning of April 3rd, 33 AD, Jesus, then a 38-year-old man, was marched to a hill outside Jerusalem, and Jesus offered his wrists to his torturers. Jesus extended his arm along the rough, splintery beam, allowing the executioners to find the spot in his wrist to position the nails and pound them through his carpal bones. Then he offered them the other wrist. <laughs> I mean, he offers them this one. They pounded in a beam. He offers them the second one, and then he offers them his feet. Jesus did not fight, he did not resist, he didn't curse them, he didn't threaten, but neither was he passive. This isn't about passivity. Jesus was actively offering himself on the cross. And there he hung, Jesus endured in his flesh the full eternal consequences of all of our ungodliness. And you guys got to realize, it was not the nails that held him on the cross, was it? It was his love for you. It was his love for you that held him to the cross. And that love was exercised in a way that he trained for. He trained to be able to do that for you. His whole life leading up to the cross, he trained to be able to exercise that kind of love for you. Do you feel loved? 
You feel loved this morning? The psalmist says, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. That feeling that you just had when you had a fresh view of God's love for you is the feeling of having your heart enlarged. Do you like it? I like it, right? If, if he does that, if we see the gospel clearly, we will run in his commandments. And so this year in 2016, let's engage in practices that will train us to run on that. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we're thankful that you have made all things good. You've secured us a future with you, a future in which you'll redeem the world, that you'll resurrect our bodies, that you'll make all things new. And we thank you, Lord, too, that you have, in this time, given us full assurance of forgiveness and that you're freeing us from the, from the power of our sin gradually every day, Lord. Help us to pursue that. Help us to engage in the practices you've taught us to, to more and more see the cross every day, to more and more see Jesus, to more and more see your love for us. And as that rocks us heart, our hearts, we will run for you. We have a hope set on you. And we thank you for that. I pray for anybody that's here that does not yet have that hope. I pray, Lord, that they would not leave without that hope. There's no reason to leave without that hope. Lord, we pray that you would draw them in, even during this time of worship and communion, and that they would be given that hope as they leave. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church, Menifee. If you would like to know more about the Menifee campus, visit us online at covgrace.org slash menifee.